Turn in your New Testaments to Acts 25. Acts 25. That's the neighborhood of where we're going to be. We're going to be in chapter 6 in particular, but it'll sort of begin in the end of chapter 5. Good to see each of you this evening. Appreciate you coming out. We're going to talk tonight about Paul's preaching to King Agrippa, to King Agrippa in Acts the 26th chapter. But before that, Paul had ended his third preaching tour, his third often called missionary journey, and had arrived in Jerusalem, and he hadn't much more than got there, that he began to uh, stir up quite a bit of problems because people knew him, knew of his past as a persecutor, and now since he had turned so far as the opposition to Christ and his church, he had turned coat. He had turned his back on them, and he was now preaching Jesus Christ and preaching the gospel. So they began to uh, demand that he be arrested, and he was... uh, taken before two Jewish situations, trials, and asked to defend himself, asked for the opportunity to defend himself also in those two. But those were Jewish arrangements. But after this had begun, there were 40 men, 40 Jewish men, who had bonded or banded together and agreed that they would not eat until they had killed Paul. And because of that, through Paul's Paul's nephew, just a kid, he was sent to the commander and told the commander about this plan that he had heard. And so the commander decided he had better get Paul out of Jerusalem. So he makes arrangements for that, and in the nighttime, he was transported to Caesarea, which was the capital, the political capital, Roman capital, of that part of the country, of Judea and that area. Caesarea. Well, he was tried before Felix, the governor, gave his defense there. And that first defense we have in chapter 22, in which the Apostle Paul relates relates the account of his conversion. And of course, he tells it, and I'll not go through the whole story because we'll read some of that in the 26th chapter. But he, uh, he begins to tell them about his conversion and about Ananias being told to come, even though he hesitated at first. The preacher Ananias in, uh, in the city where he was, in Damascus, told to go and to uh, talk to Paul. 
Well, in that speech, Paul, of course, revealed to him what the Lord had in mind for him and told him that uh, now why are you waiting after he described to him the fact that he was going to be one of Jesus' apostles. He was going to be preaching to the Jews and the Gentiles, Jesus Christ. And he told him, now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And he immediately did that. And then after that, of course, Felix retired or was taken from that position. And a man by the name of Festus followed him in the governorship of that part of the country. He was the Roman governor of that area now. And Felix, as well as Festus, they knew very little, if nothing, about Jesus and about the preaching of the gospel and about the, even though churches, this, for over 30 years the gospel had been preached, or over 20 years the gospel had been preached in the empire. Churches had been established. And it was well known among many people, even well known among the man that we're especially going to be studying about tonight, King Agrippa. He was, the, he was the king of Judea at this time. And he knew, in contrast to Felix and Festus, he knew about the Jewish history and about the Jewish opposition to Jesus and so forth. And so here at the end of, well, in, when he made his defense before Festus, Festus, in order to try to please the Jews, he wanted, uh, he asked Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem? This is Acts 25 and verse 9. Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? And as a result, Paul appealed to Caesar. Why? He wasn't about to go to Jerusalem. In fact, his attitude was, it seems to me, his attitude was, those fellows that two years earlier had determined together that they was going to kill Paul before they ate. He figured they were pretty hungry by this time. So, uh, so he said, I'm not about to go. He said, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. And Festus said, well, to Caesar you shall go. But in the meantime, he, he couldn't, Get, they couldn't get him transported immediately, so he's waiting to be transported by ship, as he was eventually. But King Agrippa and his sister, Bernice, made a visit to Caesarea, to the capital, to visit Festus, the governor. And, uh, of course... Festus was having to entertain them, and this was, you know, this was quite common in those days, and it was done with a lot of flair and a lot of, a lot of uh, pomp and it can thunder loud sometimes. <clears throat> so while he was there, though, Felix, or, uh, Festus thought, well, I'll bring up Paul's case to you. 
Felix had kept him in bonds for two years before Festus took over because he, you know, he wanted to please the Jews. Both of these men did. So now Festus tells Paul about, or tells uh, Agrippa about Paul's case. So as a result of it, King Agrippa said, I, I would like to hear this man's defense. What he has to say about himself. And so Festus said, well, tomorrow you will have that opportunity. And so they gathered together and Agrippa was, uh, was, or Paul was given the opportunity to start speaking. Then Agrippa said to Paul, verse, 20, verse 1 of chapter 26, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. After having to deal with Felix and Festus, he is very pleased to have this opportunity to speak in the presence of King Agrippa. Well, you might wonder why that is. Of course, as I said, he knows a lot about it, and Paul compliments him for that. But who is this King Agrippa? He's a Herod, H-E-R-O-D. He's a descendant of the Herod family. He is the great-grandson of the Herod that tried to destroy Jesus as a baby. Matthew, the second chapter. Great grandson of him. He is a, a great nephew. He is the great nephew of the Herod that murdered John the Baptist, according to Matthew, the 14th chapter. The great nephew of him. He is the son of the Herod that murdered James the Apostle, Acts, the 12th chapter. So imagine Paul facing, and Paul knows all of this. And you might think that he was very much upset at the idea that he was going to make a speech in the presence of this man whose ancestors had been such enemies of the Lord and of his followers. But not Paul. He saw this as an opportunity, and I think we see as we read the chapter and as we see what unfolds, in Paul's defense, he not only was glad to have this opportunity to defend himself, he had in mind to try to convert this man to Christ.
And it's kind of interesting how that turns out. And so let's begin here at the very end. He kind of draws in and uh, asks, actually asks King Agrippa to give his attention to him because he knows he's well aware of some of the things that Paul is going to talk about. So he begins in verse 4 by saying, My manner of life my, from my youth was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem. All the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To our fathers. <laughs> yes. Paul's father and father of many, of course, who were in positions of authority and power from the Jewish standpoint. And he brings up the hope, a hope which evidently King Agrippa would have been very much aware of because of his knowledge of the Jews. They were looking for the Messiah. Of course, they had some wrong ideas about what the Messiah was going to do for them. They were looking for an earthly kingdom. They were looking for someone to deliver them from the Roman Empire. But Paul uses that point about the hope to let King Agrippa know that he believed in that hope. That was characteristic of the people of the Jews. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible, verse 8, by you, that God raises the dead? Paul was a Pharisee before he became a Christian. And Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in angels. They believed in spirits. The Sadducees did not. And on one occasion before this, before the Jewish, in his one of his Jewish defenses, he uh, kind of ended that charge that was made against him when he made this point that he, being a Pharisee, believed in the resurrection of the dead and got the Pharisees and Sadducees arguing with one another. And he took, uh, took the pressure off of Paul. So he said, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. What do you think he is? You know, Paul was guided by the Holy Spirit. He 
He didn't think of all of this, of course, by himself. But you think about the wisdom of what he's saying here. What's coming now to the mind of King Agrippa? He used to be on the side of my relatives, side of my ancestors. He persecuted Christians just like they have been persecuting Christians. And so he's listening to that, and he had to, he had, that had to come to his mind. It would draw his interest. Well, what's he, how's he going to deal with this? So in verse 12, while thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, that's why he was going to Damascus, of course, to further persecute Christians. At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Well, what did, what did King Agrippa think about this revelation, this story that he's just heard? Well, later on we're going to, we're going to see some of it. He's going to tell us how it's affected him. But at least he's listening. And I'm sure he's thinking, I, you know, I have no way to deny that this happened. Because for one thing, why did Paul change from being a persecutor to the one being persecuted and now being tried for what he used to be a part of? And so, therefore, King Agrippa, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He said, this was the vision I received from heaven. And I didn't say I'm not going to do it. I, I, I submitted to it. But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. 
Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. He said, King Agrippa, I'm preaching the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. prophecies. I'm preaching the fulfillment of those scriptures that were given to the Jewish people, to the Hebrew people. I want you to understand that. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. So he says, I've been preaching the prophets and Moses and what they said would come, I've been preaching those things that have come. That the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So that's his, that's his basically a sermon. It's not a long sermon. It's a short sermon. But evidently King Agrippa has listened intently to everything he said. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. <laughs> That's not the attitude that King Agrippa manifests. That's the attitude of a man that doesn't know anything about what's going on. He, may be a, he might have been a very knowledgeable politician, a Roman official, may have known a lot about Roman history, but he didn't know anything about what Paul was talking about. And this is his reaction. But he said, I'm not mad, most Festus, most noble Festus, but speak words of truth and reason. And then he turned, he said, For the king, King Agrippa, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. Governor Festus, you may think these things were done in a corner somewhere, but King Agrippa knows better than that. These are things that he's aware of because of his dealings with the Jews. And at least if he's not a part of it, he knows about what the Jews have been trying to do with regard to Christians and the persecutions that's coming. They're, they bring against him, against the Christians. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in the corner. King Agrippa, and evidently, you know, this, his, his sermon, his words here was a masterpiece in the presence of this man. And he says now, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And it'd be interesting to know if by the way he looked or by his disposition and attitude 
caused Paul to make this next statement. I know that you believe. I know that you believe. Then Agrippa, what was his reaction to this? He said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Now, some people may think that he said that in derision. Oh, you think you're going to make me a Christian? But I really doubt that. And the reason I would doubt it is because of what he even says after that. Paul answered him when he said, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Agrippa said to Paul, or Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except these chains. He said, I wouldn't wish anybody to have to go through being chained, being in prison, being in jail. He said, I'm not wishing that, but I wish all men could be as I am in Christ and enjoy the salvation and the blessings that I enjoy in him. When he had said these things, the king, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with him. There was evidently quite a company there listening to this. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man has done nothing deserving of death or change. Is this a manifestation that King Agrippa is thinking? My great-grandfather, my great-uncle, and my father were wrong. That's very possible. Why would he have said this? This man is doing nothing deserving of death or change. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. They, they really couldn't do anything about that part. He had appealed to Caesar and he was going to go before Caesar for trial in Rome. And of course, later on in the book of Acts, we have the, that journey picture. When they had the, when they had the uh, big storm, the Eurocladon storm on the, uh, on the sea, and of course wound up being shipwrecked and wound up on the island of Malta. But uh, this, is, this is very interesting. And so far as any record that we have, so far as we know, Agrippa never obeyed the gospel, never became a Christian. But I don't think it can be denied that he gave Paul a good hearing and then at the end, if it was left up to him, I believe he would have declared him not guilty and freed him. Which would mean 
that he would have to look back over his ancestry and say they were wrong in taking the position against Christ and his followers as they have. This is a good man. He doesn't deserve to be punished. The Apostle Paul. Well, it's going to rain some more, but we got by pretty light on that, didn't we? Didn't make too much racket for very long. But, you know, the book of Acts contains several accounts of conversions. We've often preached from the book of Acts. Even preaching about the individual, the different stories of conversion of people. The day of Pentecost. The people in the city of Samaria in Acts 8. And also the Ethiopian eunuch of Acts 8. The conversion of Paul himself, who had been an opponent, was in the business of trying to defeat Christ and his church. And help to kill Christians. Stood by as they were being tried and were being punished and being killed and gave his assent to them. But he became a Christian, and now he's had this opportunity to speak before this man. This is one of the accounts usually of people say this is a non-conversion, a sermon that was preached that did not result in conversion. We don't know that absolutely, but it would be interesting. It's kind of interesting that if King Agrippa was converted, that nothing would have been said about it specifically, inasmuch as this much is given to us. But regardless of that, the answer to that question is, we know if we believe and accept the Word of God, we know how important it is for us to, while we have time and opportunity, to do what the Scriptures tell us to do. If you're here tonight, and you need to start from the beginning, as many of these folks in the book of Acts that we can read about, believing in Jesus. And I'm old, many, many people would claim to believe in Jesus who have not yet responded to his invitation. But just believing that he existed Believing that who he was who he claimed to be, that's not enough without submitting our hearts and our lives to him. You need to come in repentance and confessing your belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and willing to be buried in a pool of water. Jesus himself had said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Or if you need, if you've already done those things according to the teaching of the scripture and you're, you have not been faithful, there's sin in your life and you need forgiveness, there's the plan, there's the uh, plan of pardon for those who are already Christians because we're not sinless. When we sin as Christians, we're taught very plainly that we are to repent of those sins 
And we are to confess those sins to God and appropriate to those who may know about our sin. And uh, then to pray to God. That's what uh, Philip the Evangelist told told, uh, Simon the Sorcerer when he heard and obeyed the gospel that was preached by Philip in Acts the 8th chapter, but then committed to sin. And here soon after that, in trying to buy the miraculous power that the apostles had to lay hands on others and give them the power of the Holy Spirit. And they told him he was in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity, and they told him to repent and pray to God for forgiveness. And John says, if we confess our sins, writing to Christians, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're subject from either of those standpoints, come right now, just to get me standing soon. Come when you come, when you're born from the dark, in all prayer, lay down at the feet of your Savior and Lord, Jesus will give you rest. Oh, happy rest, sweet happy rest, Jesus will give you faith, Jesus will give you rest. Will you come, will you come, how he pleads with you now, fly to his loving breast. And whatever your sin or your sorrow may be, Jesus will give you Trusting faith, Jesus will give you.